0: Oh, we have a loving God that pursued us when we were the poor and the needy and the broken. Given over to our sin, he didn't leave us there, did he? We serve a God who intervened in our brokenness. We're going to talk about what that means then for us today. If you're new here, my name's Pastor Shane. Um, Man, I, I don't know if I can keep calling myself new. I've been here for about a year. And it has been a blessing. And uh, somebody shared this with me uh, a while ago. But Shane, you share a lot of stories about uh, how much of a knucklehead you are. Well, here's another one for you. See, when I was in college, uh, by the way, I guess before we get there, I've got a question for you. Have you ever had a bad neighbor? You ever had a bad neighbor? How many of you have ever been the bad neighbor? Yeah, if you haven't had a bad neighbor, you probably were the bad neighbor, right? Can we uh, acknowledge that? So when I was in college, um, I both had a bad neighbor, and I was a bad neighbor. I'll never forget, um, I had this, this um, gentleman who lived in the back. I, I lived in a house full of guys. We all went in on renting a house uh, during college. And I'll never forget, we were sitting around the dinner table late one night in, in our house, and we hear all of these gunshots, like 22 gunshots. We're like, what's going on? And we go out and we look outside and we see like all of these pets that have been shot, like cats and, and dogs. And, and we're like, what in the world is going on? And so we go out and we kind of investigate and we kind of knew that there was this really cantankerous guy who really liked weapons and guns. And so we we just kind of assumed that this was probably this guy. Like, that's a bad neighbor. Can we agree on that? The neighbor that shoots everybody's pet is kind of a bad neighbor. And so uh, we, we didn't take much of a liking to this guy. And I remember uh, back in the day, I decided I was going to be a rock star. Again, knucklehead. So just, you know, God save me by grace. And so we had this thing called a garage band. And uh, we thought that the louder you were, that meant the better you were. And so we would have practice every night about nine o'clock just so we could play melodious music for our neighbor who killed pets and thus started the neighborhood warfare. Okay. He viewed us as bad neighbors and he called the cops on us. Get this for noise violations, a, a total of 32 times. But our neighbor neighborhood kind of suffered the consequences of us both being bad neighbors you can imagine but I see I think a lot of us today need to understand that we live in the context of other people don't we and there's a sense that that we live in a community we live here in Riverton yes we live here in Fremont County yes we live in the state of Wyoming And we can continue to uh, expound on those boundaries and we have a whole set of neighbors, whether we like them or not, amen? And so we need to operate with this idea that we don't live in a box. We're not just individuals going through our own little life, but that our lives and how we live our lives affect the other people around us. And so when our lives are changed by Jesus, there should be some ripples that even our neighbors notice this is what i would like to call for us today outreach the ripples of when we have a relationship with jesus it changes how we view our world and how we live in it many of us many of you know we've been going through a series this summer about what is the purpose of the church what's the purpose of the church we don't get to choose our mission I heard a guy say one time, because our mission was given to us by Jesus himself. You guys know what that mission is? I'm going to repeat it every time until you guys are so tired of hearing it from me. It is the great commission. Go therefore into the world, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I commanded you. And so we need to be a people who go and we make disciples. We make disciples. And so that is the the mission of the church. Now, the question for us this summer that we've been trying to understand a little better is how do we make disciples? And we're calling it our scope. What is the aim of our church? What is the scope of our church, the influence that we have? And so here is our vision for making disciples in Fremont County. We want to be a church about the book. Amen? the Bible. We want to know the Word of God. We want to live the Word of God. We want to speak the Word of God. We want to study it and be centered around the Word of God, Scripture. And man, we have had a wonderful time talking about community, haven't we? How are you doing at practicing those one another's, the prescriptions that Jesus has given us to become the church when we love one another? And the inevitable, then, a place that that leads us is that we would love one another in such a way that that tends to do what? Overflows into our community. And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about outreach. Outreach. Um, at church, we want, to be a tr- uh, we want to be a people that meet together for the sake of Jesus in such a way that it affects the people around us, the community around us. We're going to be in a passage, Luke 10. So if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 10. We're going to be in verses 25 through 37. This is a passage I think many of you maybe are familiar with. You've heard of the story of the Good Samaritan, yes? If you haven't, that's okay. And as you're turning there to Luke 10, 25 through 37, I just want to kind of set the stage for the context that happens before we get to our passage. We see Jesus just sent 72 of his disciples out. And there was an incredible work of God. He sent them out two by two, and demons were exercised, people were healed, people's well being was addressed, and they all went out building the kingdom two by two. And so there was this great work of God as He sent the 72 out, and they come in, and the and their the disciples are like, whoa, this is amazing. The oppressed, the broken, they're all being lifted up. The demons and the powers and principalities are being pushed down and pushed out of the way for the kingdom of God to come. And then you see this passage where it talks about the woes to the unrepentant cities unrepentant cities you see woes and so there's this sense that that jesus then pushes back against the woes of the society at the time that that there would be people who would not respond to the gospel and repent and turn towards christ and then we get to this unique passage the passage of the good samaritan and in this parable that jesus tells Jesus, you need to hear this and look for this as we read it. Jesus flips the whole thing on its head and makes one of the lowliest people the hero of justice. He makes one of the lowliest people in their society from a Jewish perspective into one of the heroes of his parable. This person is called the Samaritan. Even the Samaritan knew that working toward the good of all is worth it. Now, just to revisit for why did Jesus teach in parables, you're going to hear me say this a lot because we're going to go through these parables. Why did Jesus teach in parables? It was to offend the prideful and invite the humble. And so as we read this today, if there's a part of you like, that's your pride. And if there's a part of you that just feels encouraged and invited right then that might be the spirit in you inviting you into humility the big idea then from the good samaritan as we get into it is outreach and when i ask when i say the word outreach what comes to mind just shout it out what are some things that come to mind when i when i say outreach evangelism certainly a part of that what comes to mind outreach Hugs, <laughs> it reaching out. Yeah. Hugs. What else? Meeting people's needs. So there's this idea is, as, as I studied this week, just preparing for outreach, there's this idea of this thing called justice. You guys heard the word justice and God's justice is something that we seek out, and that's a part of. We seek the justice, not just for church, but we seek for justice around um, everywhere where we are. We advocate. So the idea of outreach, I want to pair it with this word justice and say that advocating for justice and thriving is outreach. When we elevate the broken, that's part of serving the broken and, and um, serving the needs around us. Elevating the broken, but also a part of justice is what? Defeating evil and pushing down evil or debasing or putting pressure. So here's a few passages um, as as we brace for our passage in Luke, just to consider. Philippians 4.8 says this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is, if there is any excellence, is there anything worthy of praise? Think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Everybody say that with me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We have another passage, Isaiah 1:17. Isaiah 117. As we think about this concept of justice, it says, Isaiah 117, learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. This is something that God was telling Israel to do. And so, would you say that those are all things that have to do with being a good neighbor, seeking the justice? for the community surrounding us. So we need to understand the concept of justice, and and Jesus is going to illustrate that in this this passage. Let's go ahead and read it together. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test. Now we know it's never a good idea to try to put Jesus to the test. Saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. At this point, everybody was like, wow, he's really smart. We would all agree with that, right? But he, here's where he stumbles. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three, here's Jesus' question to this man, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell amongst the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. I'm, I'm going to pray for us really quick. Lord Jesus, would you, would you process in our hearts and show us, Lord, what is it your heart for the community that we would be a good neighbor? What does it mean for us to be a good neighbor We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few things about our passage to start. One is we need to understand in that culture what was a Samaritan. You guys see this? Um, As the the stories being told, you can imagine this lawyer. We can assume that he was uh, a Jewish lawyer. And everything was fine in this story up until this point as he was listening. Remember, here's where Jesus likes to offend. And so you can imagine the word, but a Samaritan would have come across as what? A Samaritan? You need to understand, in that culture, Samaritans were looked down upon. They were considered half-breeds. They were, they were uh, in fact, if you were traveling and you had to go through a Samaritan area, you would go out of your way to probably walk around and avoid them at all costs. Now, I know none of you have ever done that to anybody in Walmart. Like, oh, I'm just going to go over here. So that was the reputation of Samaritans. Uh, the, the Samaritans still exist. But I think I've showed you guys a picture today. I've actually met the current chief of the Samaritans at Mount Gerizim. And he's kind of loony. He's a little strange. Um, I remember sitting down with this guy, and he thought he was so self-important. He had two uh, two cell phones, and he was trying to answer them both at the same time because he was like he wanted to show us how important he was. And I kind of laugh as I read the the Good Samaritan, just how we miss. the the connotation. But when Jesus said, but a Samaritan, he said, as he journeyed, came to where he was and he saw him and he had compassion. Here's what Jesus is saying. Even the people that you rule out, that you look down upon, that are not a part of you, even they can know and express compassion in a way that God wants humanity to do. So, even, so he's using somebody that, that this man would have looked down upon as a lesson to show. And I just think it's interesting. It's in the midst of this man trying to prove himself. So let's ask the question then, what does it mean to be a good neighbor in light of, of uh, Jesus using the Samaritan as an example? It means to seek out the welfare of all people within our sphere, within our sphere of influence. It means to advocate for justice and for thriving. And as we learned in Isaiah, to practice and to learn and do good to others, not just in our fold. When you guys think of a good neighbor, who do you picture? If you're under the age of 30, you might not recognize, but this was an old show called Home Improvement like this this show was on at my household growing up, like all the time. Um, but if you remember, Tim Allen would always go to seek advice from his neighbor who would peer up over the fence, and you never actually got to see his face until I think like the end of the series. Anybody else recognize this guy? What's his name? Rogers. Mr. Rogers, right? Won't you be my? neighbor right so the kind of this idea of of being a good neighbor a lot of us have different ideas in our head what it means to be a good neighbor a lot of different pictures but this man this lawyer instead of processing and thinking about the idea of being a good neighbor means to everyone he seeks to justify himself doesn't he anybody ever justified yourself when you know you were probably out on a limb When you know you're not doing what you ought to be doing, you ever have that dialogue in your head? You're like, oh, surely I'm okay. It's interesting to me how easy it is for humans, for all of us. We're incredible, uh, we're capable of incredible self justification. We tend to be able to find a reason for doing anything and not doing anything, can't we? How many of you have that dialogue when you're reading scripture and it's starting to read you and you start justifying? Well, because of my circumstances, Lord, I can't do this. Well, because, you know, life is stressful right now. I can't walk in obedience to you, Jesus. Anybody ever been there? You have that wrestling match with the Lord in your quiet time. How many of you find yourself saying often, well, that's not my responsibility, When you look upon an ill in in our society, or you look upon uh, how many of you walking outside, you see a piece of trash. You guys ever have this battle in your heart? Like, should I pick that up? That means I have to walk it all over to the trash can. I see this in my kids all the time. Like, hey, you need to pick that up. Well, that's not my, I didn't do it. Kids are great at this. They can self-justify instantly. Well, that's not my mess. Why do I need to deal with it? By the way, aren't you so glad that God didn't have that attitude about our sin? That's not my mess. Thank you, Lord, for intervening in my mess. Now we need to look at our Lord as he entered into our mess. And think about this idea that God modeled for us what he wants us to model to the world. How do we enter into the mess? And stop saying this is not my responsibility We need to be a church that takes responsibility for our community. Instead of saying, hey, that's not my mess. Well, that's okay. My mess was taken care of by Jesus, and so I can go and take care and deal with the messes of our society. We need to be about that and also helping one another not fall into self-justifying for not taking uh, responsibility for the community around us. This is our community. By the way, I'm just going to be really frank with us. I kind of want to address this. You ever been talking to somebody about Riverton and about Fremont? And they kind of have this attitude. It's like, oh, sorry. You know what I'm saying? I know you've had these conversations. Because when I'm like, hey, man, I'm moving to Riverton, people are like, oh, And I'm like, hang hang on a second. Hey, what do you mean? And then when I talk to the locals, it's like, tell me about Riverton. They're like, well, you know, uh..." it's like, hold on a second. We've got the wrong attitude, don't we? The people of Christ need to come in and take responsibility, not just be like, oh, we just kind of put up with the way that it is. But Jesus has equipped us and given us every good gifting to walk in this world and to change the atmosphere. You know that song that we sang, Build Your Kingdom Here? There was a time where Christians could set the atmosphere. Instead, we've started to let the world tell us that we're defeated instead of listening to Jesus who said we're victorious because of what he did on the cross. And so we need to walk and recover this reputation of Riverton. Amen. Church. What if we started saying, Hey, we're not just going to sink our heads in the sand, but we're going to start working for the benefit of our community. We're going to take responsibility. Deuteronomy 16, 19 through 20 says, you shall not pervert justice. When you justify justice, your reasons for not taking an active investment in the community around you, I wonder, are we perverting God's justice? You shall not show partiality and you shall not accept a bribe. So partiality, if you know is like picking favorites. That's where you're like, I'm just going to help this type of person. I'm just going to help people who are like me. Any of you ever said that? Well I'm, I'm here's a self-justification. you know? They're from a different culture. They don't have the same values. They don't even like the same football team that I like. I mean, Myron and I can serve in the same church, and he likes the Seahawks. Amen! (laughs) But there's this sense, right, that we can't show partiality or justify that, you know, it's like, I'm not going to meet with Myron today because he's a Seahawks fan. Like, I'm not going to hold that against him. But you see what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? That there's this sense that, that we need to be able to sit down and serve a community that's not always like us or has the same values. That's outreach. And church, we got to stop justifying ourselves for not doing something. See, there's this principle in Scripture. It's called Imago Day means made in the image of God. All human beings are made in the image of God and therefore worthy of dignity and respect. God loves them. We have a passage in scripture that says that he desires all to come to a saving knowledge of him. God's desire is for everyone to be saved. Now that doesn't happen because many don't choose Jesus and he's the only way. But you need to understand that there's a desire of God that all would come. And so that we need to work for the benefit of all peoples. In our neighborhoods, our city, our county, our state, our nation, and the world. This man was hoping to be relieved from serving Samaritans. You can almost hear it in his voice. There's like a caveat in his mind. He's trying to justify what? I think Jesus knew his heart and the reason he used Samaritans because those were the one people that this lawyer was like, I do not want to go to those people. Can you guys think of somebody else in scripture that this happened to? The most successful preacher in all of scripture, his name was Jonah said five words and many a whole, whole nation came to faith. But did he want to go to those people, the Ninevites? He didn't, but who did God send him to? The Ninevites. We seek any way out. Church, we need to be a church that doesn't seek any way out, but instead steps into the mess and does our best to take responsibility for the community around us. That means serving all people. And the other thing that you see um, is this in this illustration? Who are the first two guys that walk by this broken and beat up man? You have a priest and you have a Levite, and both of those, in in terms of that culture, would have been related to what? Religion, right? Belief, faith. That was belief and faith at the time we have in the Old Testament. The priesthood and the Levites, they were the ones who were supposed to advocate for right relationship with Jesus through sacrifice in the old system. And so there's this idea that the very ones who are supposed to be the hands and feet of God to humanity do what? Walk on by. They go to the other side of the road. Again, aren't you glad that God didn't do that? But brothers and sisters, we're called the hands and feet of our Lord. And so when they look at the church, they should see people. If if people were driving by this church today, would they be thinking about, oh, hey, I know so-and-so goes here, and I remember when they did this for me. Man, what would that be like? See, inactivity or indifference is not an option for a believer who knows that Jesus intervened in their life. Indifference, we cannot be guilty of inactivity. See, we have in James 1.27, one of the most in-your-face challenging books in the Bible says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Does that sound like indifference? That sounds like, man, you have to go to somebody in affliction. We have to go to the broken. We don't just come here on Sunday, live a safe little life, go back to our house and set up our security walls and just live life in those two arenas. We have to be a people that go intentionally to the broken. Because, by the way, is that natural for us in our habits and our rhythms? No, man, it's like I got to take care of numero uno, I got to go to work, I got to keep my kids fed. And there's this sense that that we become indifferent. And you know, there's kind of this concept, and maybe some of you have heard this idea of sin of omission. Many of us think when we think of the word sin, we think of it entirely in concepts of sin of commission, meaning that you do something evil. But sin of omission is also sin. Sin of omission is when you don't do what God created you to do. This is why all of us are sin. What were we all created to do? To glorify God and enjoy him forever, right? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. We were created to do that. So when we break from that purpose, we're guilty of sin. We were created our highest satisfaction, our highest joy. We were created to enjoy God to the max and to glorify him. So when we break from that, that's sin of omission, but also when we stick our head in the sand and we close our ears and we try to ignore the perils and the ills of our society, are we guilty of sin of omission? I wonder. Now, thank goodness that God forgives us of our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us, but that doesn't give us a license to continue to walk in indifference. Many times we've thought, or I've, I've thought, even struggle with this. Someone else will do this. Have you ever had that thought? This is somebody else's job. Somebody will come after me. Somebody else needs to clean this mess up. A believer understands that we are the last priests and advocates for humanity. We have this in Peter, right? That we are a nation of priests. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, hey, did you know you're a priest? If you're a nation of priests, then you are literally, your job in this life is to advocate for right relationship with Jesus. You are the hands and feet of Jesus to this world. And so when we are indifferent, what does that communicate to a world that needs him? That he doesn't care. Go out and talk to somebody today. It's heartbreaking because they think that God doesn't care. Where'd they get that narrative? Well, one, it's sowed by Satan in our culture. But two, too often, that's what Christians have been to them. Indifferent. There is literally no one else but Christians to stand in the gap. We are literally called the hands and feet of Jesus. I wanted to share a video, but I'll just summarize it with you. Uh, It's by a a man I'm going to brutalize his name, Martin Nicoller, and he has this saying that he, um, during World War II, as Germany began to rise in power in Germany, which by the way, had quite a powerful grouping of Christianity, a church that operated under the rise of Hitler, and he says, first they came for the people I didn't like, and I said nothing. And then they came for me and there was no one else to advocate for me. That's my summary. That's because it always starts, brothers and sisters, with indifference. With inactivity to going to the other side when we see the brokenness. God offers us immense grace, but we ought not abuse God's grace. This is where a man who was in that time of World War II Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he called this cheap grace, a grace that doesn't transform our lives. How could we look upon the cross of Christ and not be, and we sang about this, not being motivated to do something, to do something. So, sin of omission, we often think it's someone else's job. Here's the good news, guys. When we gaze, or as we've been talking about this, when we behold Christ, it transforms us from the inside out and it gives us compassion and a heart. We live in a fallen world. Can we agree upon that? And like this man beaten on the side of the road, is there a time that that all of us have felt beaten by this world? We've all experienced the consequences of sin not one of us here. So we can relate to the, this idea of the beaten man. We've been beaten down. We face pain. We face illness. Those are all consequences of sin. We have been beaten, but Jesus, instead of walking on the other side, came to us and offered us the way, the truth. Through him and his death on the cross, he made us right with God. That was intentional. So we live by looking at a grace that sparks compassion for all peoples. We are all facing the greatest plight to humanity, the consequences of our sin and rebellion against God. It affects all of us. We really are in this together. You guys remember COVID? You'd see all the signs in this together. And then you'd kind of chuckle to yourself a little bit. (laughs) How's that one working out? Right? Were we in it together or did we devolve? And did we just kind of implode on each other? It happened, didn't it? But there's this sense that under the plight of sin, which we all add to, that we're in this together. In fact, Paul understood that once a Christian, the only thing that keeps us from wanting to get to Jesus as quickly as possible is to bring as many people with us as we can. I, I always come back to Philippians 1:20 20 through 26. Let me read this to you. But this was Paul's mentality about life today. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and die and to die is gain. I'm gonna say that again. This is amazing. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, everybody pinch yourself, we're all living in the flesh. These are our fleshly bodies. That means fruitful labor for me. What is he talking about? Fruitful labor there. Spreading the word, and spreading the word, by the way, as I think about this, there's this maybe false dynamic where it's like we have to do good things and work for the benefit of humanity, and and, uh, that has to be separate from our evangelism. But the, the Bible tells us those two things ought not be separated. We share the gospel in word and in deed. We share it in word and in deed. So if you have deeds without the word of God, you have social justice apart from God, which does no good for eternity. But if you have the word without the deeds, you have hypocrites that have no power in this world. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. This is Paul again speaking. I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Can I get an amen? I can't wait for that day. For that is far better. Paul gets it. It's so much better for me to be with Jesus. I want to be so heavenly minded that I just forget about this life. But he doesn't. He sees something and it continues. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary. On your account. On whose account? On your account. He's talking to the Philippians, but also kind of an us, right? The apostles, Paul carried the gospel to people who carried the gospel to people who carried the gospel to people who carried the gospel to us. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the face so that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ because of my coming to you again. <clears throat> So we as Christians need to have this mentality as Paul that the reason I'm here is for Christ alone. It's not to live the kind of life where I get to walk into retirement and I get to have my final vacation before I depart from this world. But instead our vacation is our treasure in heaven and we live this life paid out 100% because Jesus paid the price For us, we say our life belongs to him. That's lordship. And so we say the reason I'm here is not to have a vacation, but it's to live for the benefit of others and to see them come to faith in Jesus. So that is our single most important purpose. As we tease this out, we need to understand or remember that there's really two ways to seek out the justice for all. And we can walk in acts of compassion like was modeled and Jesus is trying to illustrate through the Samaritan. We can defend the defenseless. Can you guys think of some defenseless in our society today? The widow, the orphan talks about in scripture. You notice a trend there, and the trend there is that as this man was beaten, this man's suffering was through no fault of his, of his own, but it was the consequences of sin in general. And so there's a sense that we want to be people who defend the defenseless, those who are facing consequences that they did not themselves bring upon themselves. And then we need to be a people who are about justice in that we want to make sure that those who are doing evil acts, we stop. We don't just turn a blind eye. And that's where I think about uh, guys like Anthony. Anthony, thank you for what you do and our police forces. We want to be people who support this idea that crime is not okay, that we don't just let it go or we don't just encourage it. That is also seeking the benefit or the welfare of our society. Even a believer was turned over, and I think about this passage, 1 Corinthians 5, 5, that there's sometimes a sense that we ought not step in and try to keep somebody floating if they continue to do evil. And so here's where Christians have maybe sometimes our helping can hurt, and we need to be cautious that we don't fall into that preserving evil as well. And so for us, this is tricky in our world. This is really tricky in our society. It's really hard to distinguish who should we help, who should we not, how should we help. We need to be people who are thinking about. We got to be cautious that our helping doesn't hurt. And maybe many of us have seen this, but giving free money to people really isn't a solution, is it? Preventing consequences. Many of you have painfully seen this with loved ones. Sometimes they need to face the consequences of their actions. And sometimes the most compassionate thing we can do is pull away, but prayerfully wait for them to come back as a prodigal. uh, A wise man once told me when trying to distinguish between these two things, when should I help and when should I not? He said, you know, if I'm going to make an error, I'm going to err on the side of grace and having grace on people. But for us, distinguishing where to help and how to help and what, what is what is helping, what is not helping, it's really hard because it means we have to be aware of the ills of our society, doesn't it? And do our absolute best with wisdom to distinguish what is helpful and what is not helpful and what brings God uh, glory and and show his compassion, but at the same time, how do we make sure that we don't affirm evil? Um, I want to take you to a, a good friend of mine. They started, uh, they were really convicted by this idea of social justice. They were believers and they, they started a company called Bought Beautifully. How many of you know that your clothes, your shoes, all the things that we buy today are typically forged or slaves have some hand in making those things? You guys know that? We need to be aware of that. And in fact, if you're curious about that, there's this interesting little website called slaveryfootprint.org. We need to be make sure, make sure that we're not supporting slavery in the world. Did you guys know that there's more slavery in the world today than there's ever been in history? Did you guys know that? A few years ago, that was brought to light, you know what? By Christians. Because we had become so indifferent to slavery because we really like having fancy stuff. We need to be people who maybe kind of wrestle with, man, should I buy this stuff? If it means it came unethically. Does our consumerism promote injustice? We need to be a a church that asks that. We should ask, uh, we should at the very least be asking the questions. I'll tell you, This kind of leads into this idea that we cannot ignore the ills of our society. And a beautiful picture of that. I'm just going to keep pointing out incredible people in our church. I don't know if you guys noticed, but uh, uh, when I think of compassion, I think of Miriam who led worship. And many Sundays ago, I'll never forget as I, I sat and watched her walk a man in who didn't have shoes and his feet were hurting and he couldn't bend over to put shoes on. So what did she do? she compassionately went and grabbed shoes. And most of us would be like, okay, here's your shoes. Good luck. But instead, Miriam sat down, got on her knees, put shoes on his feet, tied them, because he couldn't bend down to do it. And when I read this, when I prepared that, I just could not get the image or the challenge of what her heart showed me in that moment. We need to be a people who don't ignore or look away at hard things, but we want to be people who gracefully sit down and help. <clears throat> so as we look across, let's just get real, church. What are some things, that, some ills in our society, in our proximity, just even here in Riverton, that we cannot ignore, that we ought not look away, but instead we look and we pray and we ask the Lord, what would you have us do? As a church. Is there fatherlessness today? I think we have a generation, what was the last statistics say, that over 60% of kids growing up today are growing up without a present dad. And we wonder why our society has so many ills. Where are fathers? Church, godly men, we have a, a God our father who intervened in our life, what if we were men who stepped in and became father figures to others in this world? Because we have a perfect father modeled for us who went out of his way to adopt us, by the way. What if we were men in a church that adopted the fatherless? That sounds like the widow and the orphan to me. We have divorce and broken families in this world. In a city, don't we? Church, I want us to pray. Let's not look away from it, but let's acknowledge there's some serious brokenness in divided families. There's abuse happening in our community that, that we need to be looking at and praying through. How can we how can we help? We have an over-sexualized culture, don't we? Way over-sexualized culture. What what if What if instead of the primary teacher of sexuality wasn't just the public schools and it wasn't just our media, but what if the church discipled our kids enough to know what is the beauty that God created sex for? And by the way, also the beauty that God created two different genders to to, to become. There's a lot of people telling this world's telling, and, and by the way, the world's, discipling kids I think better than we are what if we became disciple makers that taught kids the beauty of what God made us to be we have drug and alcohol abuse issues in our community don't we we can't just ignore that we can't just look away we can't just come here on Sunday and lift our hands and worship God but not see and think and pray God what would you have us do How could we do that? I want uh, you know I've been talking to a few of you and talking about what can we do. We we partner with Set Free Ministry, but also I, I think there's room for us to do some type of drug and alcohol abuse recovery type ministry. I don't know if it's um, celebrate recovery or whatever it is, but we need to be prayerfully seeking. What do we do as a church? There's obviously homelessness, and there's racial tension. Can we just kind of recognize that elephant in the room? There's racial tension, isn't there? So we need to be praying, God, what do we need to do? Not to look away or ignore it. Is there loneliness and suicide in this community? I'll tell you, since i moved here, I've talked to people and as I've sat down with them or like over the apartment buildings or I see people and I see people walking down my street all the time, I ask, hey, how are you? I don't know you, but I'm just wondering, how are you? And I've seen people multiple occasions just cry because that's the first time somebody's really genuinely asked and wanted to know. Church, what would God have us do to address some of this loneliness? And of course, we have crime in our community and we all know that and we grumble about that and we complain about that. But how are we supporting our officers out there? How do we let them see? How do, how do we help with this, this crime? I You know, again, I'm posing different issues that I see that I think we need to pray through. How do we address? There's a man in history called William Wilberforce. Anybody ever heard that name? William Wilberforce? If you haven't, look it up. But William Wilberforce saw an ill in the society of his day. He's a contemporary of George Washington. And that was slavery. And so he began the process. He lived a life trying to uh, live for the abolition of slavery. He did it through um, through Parliament in in Great Britain. And by the end of his life, he saw the official abolition of slavery, which began where we are today. You know why we can all confidently say that slavery is evil and why we can say that um and we don't practice slave owning anymore. It's because William Wilberforce, as a believer, impacted all of the world, really, for addressing slavery. He didn't let it go, but he spent his whole life advocating for those social reforms. Now, there's a caution here, and I just want to leave us with this. There's been uh, such a push for social justice, and I was really worried as I preached through this that we would become so so pressed for social justice that we forget about how the gospel is incorporated into that. And I I want you to remember that it is, when we go forward with the gospel, we do it in word and deed. Those two things cannot be separated. We have to do it in word and in deed. So what for us? How do we outreach as a church? We need to work as a church and prayerfully ask, what are the ills of our society? What are the ways that we can be the hands and feet of Christ? We have broken and hurting people in our midst. Are these things that we could do? Are there things that we could do to promote the thriving of all humans in Riverton? Church, are there some things that we could do? I'm not convinced. I'm seeing a lot of blank stares. Church, are there things that we could do? And could we do it with zeal because of what Jesus has done for us? Not wanting anything in return, but doing because Jesus gave us eternity. We want to be people that see the problems. We want to uplift the oppressed and the lowly and work against the wicked who promote evil. So as as you talk about this, this week, hopefully in your life groups, I just want you to ask one question. What is a way that I can be a good neighbor? What is a way that I can be a good neighbor and outreach to my community? Because that is obviously something that Jesus held in high regard as as he taught this man who is a lawyer. As I'm gonna pray for you. Some of you need to do some work with the Lord. Maybe you've trusted and believed in Jesus and you've come to church and you haven't taken next steps and that, that faith hasn't moved into how you live life. In fact, you're no different now. And so you've professed faith in Jesus, but you don't live out of that new identity as son of God. And so uh, some of you, I want to just give you time. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? Would you ask the Lord? Oh God, would you guide me in what needs to change? And so Lord, we as a church come before you now and we just pray. God, we pray that we would stop looking away, that we would let go of our indifference. We'd stop trying to justify not being your hands and feet. And Lord, that today, because of your gospel, we would do something whether it's organized, whether it's individual, Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be a movement out of this church so powerful that this community would feel the ripples of your gospel. And we pray that, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, move us to have your heart. In Jesus' name, amen.